to walk worthy According to thy word Please order my steps, Lord And I'll do your blessed will The world is ever-changing Oh, but you are still the same If you'll order my steps I'll praise your name So order my steps in your word, dear Lord Lead me and guide me every day Send your anointing, Father, I pray Order my steps I want to walk worthy According to thy word Please order my steps, Lord And I'll do your blessed will The world is ever changing Oh, but you are still this morning. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You know, I'm, I've been up since 3 a.m. this morning. I had to go make a, a delivery down in Salisbury, and I, I'm an early bird anyway. I just, I just love the mornings. It's fresh and clean, and I just, I just love it. But I was sitting down there at that, that grocery D.C. this morning. I was watching the sun come up. And I saw the, as the, those golden rays started hitting those trees. 
that are starting to turn gold and all this. It was just gold all around. And, and I just thought, my goodness, Lord, this is just beautiful. And then it come to me and said, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what we've got in store for us over there. I wanted to have a revival right there in that parking lot this morning. And I thought, you know, Lord, when I get to church this morning, I'm going to praise you with everything in me. The scripture says that the rocks will cry out. Brother Jaron, I may have been accused of being as dumb as a rock, but I certainly ain't going to let no rock out praise me this morning. Did you come to have church? Let's sing this song like this. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. Yes, Lord. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to How great. 
just sing it one more time to him. He loves to hear you say it. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. We love you, Lord Jesus. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. There is none like You, Lord. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Isn't he just wonderful? Amen. We welcome you to the service this morning. We're certainly glad to have each and every one of you here. We've got lots of visitors. I wouldn't even attempt to call your names, but we are certainly thrilled to have each and every one of you here. Uh, For those of you that are here all the time, don't get nervous. It's just me. You know how I am. I'm high energy and I like to praise my God. So I hope you come this morning, buckle up your seat belts, and let's just have a good... It's okay to have a good time at church. Amen. God has provided a place for us to to come and and leave all of our cares and all of our troubles from the previous week and all the troubles that we're going to have to face next week. They're going to be there waiting. But God's provided a place for you to come in here and just forget about it and just relax and worship Him and receive a blessing. So are you ready to receive? Let's sing this old song, When We All Get to Heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I think that will be in the same key. If not, we'll move it. We'll try it. Oh, sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. Oh, and we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Oh, and we all get to heaven 
What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. So onward to the prize before us. Soon His beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. Oh, and we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Let's sing that third verse. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory Will the tolls of life repay Oh, and we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout victory one more time. Oh, and we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout victory. Hallelujah, what a day that will be. You know, you, when you stop to think about it, it's, it's really just a small sacrifice that we do here in this life to gain what we're going to gain. And, you know, if, if someone called you and, and told you and said, Hey, uh, you know, I need you to do such and such and such for one week. You're going to give up this and this and this. And then at the end of that week, I'm going to give you a million dollars. I would venture to say that the majority of the people standing here would do whatever that sacrifice was, was necessary. Now you just broaden it out. And all you got to do is just trust Him. He said, if you do this and this and this and trust me, you got eternal life. Seems, uh, seems like a pretty good deal to me. Especially knowing who I was. I just love Him, Brother Mark. Brother Aaron asked me a couple weeks ago about a song. And Brother Mike Pritchard likes this song too. And since they're here, I'm going to ask the greatest choir in the world right here to help me sing this song. It's the unclouded day. Are you looking forward to that? You know, we went through a few days a couple weeks ago where it was like three or four days of just rain, rain and cloudy. And man, that next day we got up and the sun was shining that sky was so blue i was like thank you lord for such a beautiful day the sunshine still works i'm looking forward to that unclouded day i think uh let's try yeah we'll try uh f or g either one <clears throat> let's try g <clears throat> oh they tell me of a home far beyond the skies oh they tell me of a home far away Oh, they 
tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless days. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home where my friends have gone. Oh, they tell me of that land far away where the tree of life in eternal blue sheds its fragrance through the unclouded day. King in his beauty there, as they tell me that mine eyes shall behold where he sits on the throne that is whiter than snow in that city that is made of gold. Oh, the land of cloudless days. They tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me that he smiles on his children there. And his smile drives their sorrows all away. And they tell me that no tears ever come again. Land of unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds arise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Right before we take our prayer request before the Lord, let's just sing this song to Him. Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus 
was the best thing I've ever, ever done. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, I'm never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected And there's no place I'd rather, rather be Oh, falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. Amen, musicians. If you just continue to play that softly, we'll take these prayer requests before the Lord. You know, we're very blessed because, not because so much that we fell in love with him but because he fell in love with us we now have a avenue that we can go to in times of need let's continue to remember uh, brother Danny Florian as he's recovering and is sick not feeling well also we want to uh, remember brother Ben McCafferty who is uh, sick and not feeling well continue to remember the drums as both of them are, are sick um, we want to uh, remember Sister uh, Jane Munch as she's uh, got sore throat and not feeling well this morning. Also, uh, remember uh, Sister Carrie Whitlock as she is at home with her back. My wife, Sister Sarah, is also having some uh, back issues this morning as well. Um, Brother John Cockman is away. And uh, remember Ashley, she had to uh, go into work this morning. And uh, I know there's many needs among us. There's many hurting among us. How many unspoken prayer requests? Amen. The Lord sees your heart and He knows. Amen. Let's just sing that song, that chorus again. And I'd like to ask Brother Jeremy if he would take these requests before the Lord. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just one more opportunity to come and gather together in your name, Lord. Father, we don't take it lightly, Lord, and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you did at Calvary. Lord, it's through that that we can bring these supplications, Lord, these, these appeals to you, Lord, in faith, knowing, Lord, that you've already provided, Lord. 
Heavenly Father, I just lay my hands on these requests. Lord, many that are sick. Lord, many that are going through uh, even time of sorrow right now. I just think of my brother Andy. Lord, those that are reaching out to you, Lord, looking for direction. Lord, we are very needy people, Lord, but I'm so thankful, Lord, that it's not overwhelming to you. So, Lord, we give it all to you and just ask, Father, that each need would be met individually, personally. Lord, may it come back as a testimony of praise, Lord, of your mercy, your goodness. Lord, we love you. And as we just now turn this time, Lord, we turn our thoughts to you. We lift up your name and praise God. Lord, I just pray that the worship that we pour out of our hearts, Lord, to you would just be a sweet savor, Lord. Heavenly Father, we've come to hear from you, Lord. As your servant has sought your mind, Lord, I ask that you would give him, just use him, Lord. May he be clay in your hands, Lord. Father, speak to each need. I pray, God, that he would just be sensitive to that, to your leading. Lord, we just give this time wholly into your hands, Lord, that you be glorified and lifted up. We love you. Give you thanks and praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Just sing it as you're seated. With Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. Oh, just sing it one more time now. I just love this. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. Amen. We got a couple of specials this morning. Sister Lily Harwell is going to give us one. And after her, Brother Jaron, if you would come on up. And as she's getting ready, just an announcement to make here. All the youth going to uh, the October camp who are interested in singing in the group, please meet right after the church for a quick practice. And that's from uh, Brother Mitchell. Full 
this fallen world He's still showing grace If we humbly kneel before Him and say I come now to lay it down good to be with you all today, man. Pray for me. I'm a little nervous as I sing. Amen. I was just thinking about what Brother Keith was saying, um, you know, that God, He just wants you to serve Him and trust Him. Amen. You know, the roads that we walk down, often we face disappointments, struggles, and trials. Amen. People, people can disappoint you circumstances can disappoint you amen but i'm glad that we serve a god that's greater than any problem that we could face amen man pray for me as we sing this so many times i've questioned the certain circumstances the things i could not understand 
many times in trials, weakness blurs my vision, and my frustration gets so out of hand. It's then I am reminded, see, I've never been forsaken, and I've never had to stand one test alone. Take you through that fire, saints. You're looking at a walking testimony this morning of what God can do. I'm going to share something with you one of these next few days, but it's nothing short of a miracle. Amen. God can take uncurable diseases and He can heal them and wipe them away from you. You can be broken, poor as Job's turkey, as I heard him say, and He'll never let you go hungry. He'll never take that shelter away from you. He's an awesome, mighty God. Let's all stand.
And we'll go on into the service. Let's have our ushers come at this time and we'll receive our morning offering. Brother Jeff, if you would uh, bless the offering. Let's sing that song. You are awesome in this place, mighty God, as Brother Barry comes. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. You are worthy of all praise. To you our lives we raise You are awesome in this place Mighty God Oh, you are awesome in this place Mighty God You are awesome in this place Abba Father Before we do anything else. And as we do that this morning, I'd like to ask you to remember Brother uh, Andy Irish. Uh, the Irishes are not here. Uh, Andy and Jen are not here. Uh, yes, this weekend, Brother Andy and Sister Jen went to 
Connecticut to uh, hold a memorial with all of their family uh, for the passing of their, their mom, which happened a couple of uh, weeks ago. As they were there, Brother Andy uh, spent yesterday with his dad. Uh, he was declining and uh, spent the day with him and he said had some good time with him. And then early this morning, his father slipped away. And uh, so they're up there together, uh, all the family, and uh, we sure want to hold them up in prayer uh, this morning and just trust that God will undertake for them. That's, that's uh, close, uh, close uh, together to lose both parents. So let's remember them when we pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, we are always grateful that we have you to turn to, Lord. When our strength fails, we know, Lord, we can always lean upon your arms. Father, you care about us. You care about all we go through. You help us, Lord, and you somehow, Lord, just carry us through in the difficult times, times of mourning and times of loss. Lord Jesus, we just want to say this morning that we love you and we thank you because you you care about each and every incident in our lives. Lord, we believe that there's no accidents with God. And so we lift Brother Andy this morning and his family and your hands, Lord. I pray that you would draw near to them, draw close to them. And I pray, Father, that you would just give them strength, Lord, in the days that lay ahead and all the preparations that are to be made. We commit them into your hands, Lord. I pray that your presence would just surround them today, Lord, and give them the comfort that only the Comforter can give. We pray, Lord, for this service, and we ask, Lord, that you would just minister to each and every need, and Lord, the way, Lord, you've dealt with my heart now. I just give this time back to you. And Lord, I, I always I always have confidence that you have something special to say to us when we gather together, especially knowing how close we are to the end of all these things. And Lord, I, I just ask now that you would just come in a special way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. God bless you. Uh, we'll, we'll let musicians take your seats this morning and May God bless you. Welcome all of you here today. Good to have uh, all of our guests and visitors uh, with us today. And may the Lord bless you. I'm not going to start naming names. Good to have the uh, folks from BCF here. God bless you. Good to didn't know you were uh, didn't know you were uh, close by. So good to have you here today. And folks from Arizona, uh, may the Lord richly bless you. Um, I just want to give you a couple of quick prayer requests, and then we're going to turn to the Word this morning. It's it's good to have the. Um, Sister Danielle here and Stephen, God bless you, and uh, great to have them with us today. And uh, been a while, and have been through a lot, but Sister Danielle, we've been praying for you, and uh, good to have you here today. Um, wanted to mention Sister Mary Smith, uh, they sent me a, a note this morning, tomorrow morning early, um, she has a uh, procedure that they're going to fuse some of the nerves there in her neck been causing her great difficulty, great pain, and so tomorrow morning they're going to be doing that. So let's just pray that the Lord will uh, give her relief from the suffering that she's gone through. It's been very difficult, and uh, we just want to see her have a complete victory over that, and it's been a very rough season for her, for sure. Sister Munch is not here today. Brother Munch is here, but Sister Munch is not here and not feeling well. Um, We would like to uh, also acknowledge that on October 28th is Lena Martin's birthday, right? Lena's here? Not here. And uh, we'll wish her a happy happy birthday for me. It's also the Cross's anniversary, right? 
the cross's anniversary on that. How many years, man? Fifteen years. God bless you. We appreciate the crosses. Uh, October 29th is Titus Clavel's birthday. Where is Titus? Titus. <laughs> How old are you, Titus? Eight. Are you going to be? Are you going to be eight or are you going to be nine? Going to be eight. Wow. Kids always go for that extra year. We always lean the other way when you get to, I don't know what the line is, but you start to lean the other way. October 30th is Brother David Stevens' birthday, right? Brother David, which way are you leaning? (laughs) He's leaning towards, don't ask me, Brother Barry, don't ask me. Uh, We appreciate uh, each and every one of you. May the Lord bless you. I've got to read a little note here uh, from my wife and I. We thoroughly enjoyed the and appreciated the pastor appreciation event last Sunday. And uh, it was really nice for those of you that were not here. We'll expect our jar of nuts any day. Uh, we love and appreciate each one of you uh, very much. And uh, we, enjoyed our, we enjoyed every bite of pastor appreciation this year. And it was uh, just a really wonderful time. So for those of you that were not there, we missed you. But uh, we went ahead anyway. And uh, it was really nice and uh, just a nice time of fellowship. Um, we, you, as I said on Wednesday night, you, you never really need to do anything to make us feel appreciated. We, we feel appreciated just by being here and, uh, having all of you with us and, uh, your, we appreciate your faithfulness and, uh, your consistency in the, in the Lord. And, and that's just a wonderful thing. So may God bless you all. Now, uh, before we, uh, want to remind you of November 13th with our, um, with our, fall fellowship that we're going to have and we need to have you uh, come prepared and uh, going to be a certainly going to be a fun day going to be a full day going to be a fun day so we're looking forward to that well I'm going to uh, ask you this morning uh, just to turn with me in the scripture and if you don't mind let's go to Zechariah the first chapter and we'll just read a, a little bit there and but I want you to hold your Bible open this morning because we're going to do this the manual way we're going to uh, do this without any visual help here. So if you have your Bible, Zechariah, the first chapter. Zechariah is one of my favorite uh, books of the Old Testament because it has so many prophecies in it that relate to our time and so many things that spoke so accurately about the days that we have come to and about what's going to happen in Israel. And he spoke very pointedly about uh, the children of Israel in captivity. Uh, and he was one of the prophets that spoke uh, as, a, as a vessel for God. Uh, to the people who were taken off into Babylon. Uh, But he said many, many things that related to times that we live in today and times that are going to be laying ahead. And um, we could take a lot of time in the book of Zechariah. But the first chapter here has a really interesting phrase in here that I want to pick up on this morning. And with God's help, it's just been burning in my heart all week long. And uh, I knew this is where I needed to go. And uh, I'd like to read just just to give us a, a little context here in verse 18, Zechariah 1, verse 18. Then lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Verse 20, And the Lord showed me four carpenters. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated.
<clears throat> Let me walk you back uh, in, the, in the book of Zechariah here just for a moment. So keep it open. If you have your Bible, just keep it open. And uh, let's, let's just walk back for a few minutes here to get the, the setting here. Because I, I want to uh, talk about this in light of the little series that we started on the way we are. We're exploring or understanding the, way, the reason that we act the way we do. The reason that we conduct ourselves the way that we do. And uh, this was a little bit of an obscure thing when I began uh, to look at this topic. And as I uh, begin to explore and just let the Lord unfold it, it's just been very interesting. But today I want to make it kind of personal for you. And uh, I'd like to add a subtitle in here, Four Horns and Four Carpenters. Four Horns and Four Carpenters. This is an unusual little passage here, but let's go back and look. In the beginning of the chapter, uh, God speaks to the people of Israel that are in captivity. And he says uh, in in the very beginning here, and if you want to join me in verse 3, he tells the people, he said, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. The reason that Israel was in captivity in the first place is because of their disobedience and their disregard of one of the most basic and fundamental laws in all of Scripture. And that was to honor the Sabbath. And so it was connected to that. And uh, when Israel was presented with this correction, they, re- they rejected it. They thought, well, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, they had their own interpretation. They had their own view. And as a result of that, uh, God uh, dealt with them in this way, and they were carried off down to Babylon. You know the story. We've, we've gone through the story. I just want to add a little portion here about this, though, because the Sabbath is a very important thing to God. As a matter of fact, if you were a Jew, you would be taught from a very early age that, and you have to understand now what I'm going to say, you've got to think about this a little bit, that time to God is actually, is actually more important or takes precedent over place. Time is a a very important thing to God. And it takes precedence, actually, over place. Now, place is important to God. But God never wanted the children of Israel to get attached to one, in in this season, he didn't want to get them attached to one particular uh, location. And and that's where we worship God. That's where we only worship God. He never wanted them to feel that way. Because when he gave them the tabernacle, it was meant to go with them in their journey, right? So they may worship one time in this place, and then in another time they'd worship in that place. And we also know in the grander scheme of things, too, that when God uh, had Solomon built the temple, that that temple was not going to be around forever, and God knew that. And, and so it was going to uh, be rebuilt. And, and, and we know also as well that God was not uh, focusing exclusively on just a building. Right? Because Jesus comes along and says, hey, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. So God wanted them to flow with this idea of temple. Temple would take on meaning as we, uh, as we went through the Bible, right? And, and God never wanted the people to get caught up in a physical structure. Because God was more fluid than that. Are you understanding what I'm saying? 
You know, for the people that are, like if you're a Mormon, everything centers around the Mormon tabernacle. If you're a Catholic, everything centers around St. Peter's. That's a place. And people can get really caught up in a place. May God help us never really to get caught up in the, in the four walls here, in the, in the structure of the building. I thank God we've got it. I thank God we have a lovely place, and, and it's been uh, built and rebuilt by the believer's hands, and I think it's a special place, and God has visited this place, and God has met us here many times, and I'm thankful for that, and I, I'll tell you what, we should reverence this place. We should conduct ourselves a different way in this place than any other place that we go to in the run of the week. How many would agree? I mean, this is a, this is a coveted place, and we, wanna, we, we work hard to keep it that way because we want God to visit us. We come with the expectation and the intention of meeting God and hearing from God when we come to this place. But you know what? Uh, one day, one day, this place can probably fall down flat. And it wouldn't stop the believers. Because we worship God in, a, uh, in spirit and in truth. And, and we worship God all the time, if that's all right, if I can say it that way. We're not limited by a building. We don't, we don't just worship God because we're in here. At least I hope you don't. We don't leave our believer status here when we leave the parking lot. We don't leave our spirituality here when we walk away from here. And so God wanted us to worship all the time. But he also told the Israelites in the very beginning, he told Moses, and when Moses wrote the law, I mean, the very first thing that God put a blessing on in Genesis chapter 2 was the Sabbath. And God blessed the seventh day, and he rested. Because he wanted the people to know that God was the creator. God was the primary one. And no matter what you do, and no matter where you go, and no matter what you accomplish in life, you know what? At the end of the day, God did it all for us. Well, let's say it this way. When we all get to heaven and we cross over that barrier and get over on the other side, we'll all be singing the same song of amazing grace, how sweet the song uh, sound that saved a wretch like me. And it was not me that saved me, and it was not me that saved you, and it wasn't you that saved me, but it was all done because of what he did for us. At the end of the day, it's all about Christ. Isn't that right? And he wanted the people of Israel to take a time, a special time, a Sabbath, where they could rest and they could acknowledge the fact that God is the creator and on the seventh day God rested. And that's, a, that's a very, very big thing to God. Buildings are great. Buildings are important, but not as important as our acknowledgement of the fact that God is the creator. God's in control. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's elementary and you didn't need to come to church really to hear that. But let's go back now and look, because the reason that they're in captivity in the first place is because they have defiled the Sabbaths. And uh, in verse 6, God asks the question through Zechariah, says, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, did they live forever? All those people that told you different interpretations, and all those people that lied to you, now we find out they lied. All those people that had grandiose interpretations of the scripture, and all those people that had an inflated opinion of their own selves, where are they now? Got a question for you. Where are all those prophets now? You know what? Most of them are six feet under. Most of them are left behind. And he asks that question, and he wants them to think about it. And then uh, he comes down through from verse 7 all the way down uh, to verse 15 there, and he talks about what happened to Israel over those years and how that those Gentile powers came in. And God allowed them because, hey, I, I believe this, that nothing happens, nothing happens without God either allows it or causes it. Right? Nothing happens unless God allows it or causes it. 
Nothing. And, and therefore, at the end of the day, uh, the, the, whole, the whole mindset or the way that we think about things is different than how the world thinks about things because we're going to give God credit uh, because we know even the bad things in life can work together for good. To them we're a call according to his purpose. Isn't that right? Even the things that we don't understand could be good. God can take them and turn them around for good. It's like I said on Wednesday night. It's, David said, it's good that I was afflicted. For now, he says, I, I, I obey thy word. It's good that I went through what I went through, as hard as it was. Because now I obey thy word and thy precepts. And, and, and God can take bad things and he can turn them around into good things. Now, and, and I want you to join me here in verse 15 as we look at this. And he says, I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they help toward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. And my house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through, uh, th- uh, through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Now remember now, these are the people who the last sight they had of Jerusalem was when it was being ransacked and burned and overturned by a bunch of Babylonians. By a foreign invading army, they had come in and ransacked. They had ravaged Jerusalem, God's place. And everything that God had done in the great temple and all of that. And the last image they had was probably leaving that and looking back and seeing the smoke rising over the city of Jerusalem. And they thought, wow, you know, it'll, it'll never be the same. It'll never. And here's God saying to them, I'm going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to restore the city. And he says, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to measure out all the dimensions of Jerusalem and the temple. And I'm going to do all of that and bring it back. Bring it all back online. Bring it all back into its glory again. I'm going to do that. And he promises that to people. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'm glad I serve a God like that who, who never forgets us. Even in our disobedience, he never forgets us. And he loves us. And he's a God who restores. Do you believe he's a God who restores? And then it says in 18, he says, I lifted up mine eyes and I saw and behold... Four horns. Now, whenever you hear the number four, it's usually a reference to something global, to something, uh, you know, in a, uh, in a general sense here now, and we can take it to lots of different places, like over in the book of Revelation. You remember when uh, John looked and he saw the four angels on the four corners of the earth, right? And they were holding back the winds of strife. And so whenever we hear the, the number four, there is in it a reference uh, very often to suggest that this is something that is global. And so here's Zechariah, and he lifts up, and he sees these four horns. Horns represent power. And he said, And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered and said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. These are the powers that have come. And so in this vision now, and this is what Zechariah is looking at, in this vision uh, he's looking at these horns and he says, uh, these are the four, uh, four, they represent the global, uh, power that was exerted against Israel that took them from their land, actually ripped them out of Jerusalem and brought them into Babylon. And, and these are, these are great and mighty powers that exist in the earth. Now we know later on, you know, when Daniel had the vision that he had, he saw powers as well. And these powers were overarching, weren't they? They ruled the world. They had an influence in all the world. Stay with me now. I'm just talking history here. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this right around here to the carpenters in a moment. And so they, 
the, the scene that Zechariah looks at, he said, these are these horns which, uh, which answer, which have caused Israel to be scattered. And so these are a force to be reckoned with. These are the ones that successfully did what they did to Israel. Now God says about them, he says, you know, I, I in a sense, I hired them. I, I, I used those powers to, to bring punishment and judgment on Israel and to take them away. But he actually says they went too far. He says they went too far. And they caused undue grief to Israel. And so therefore, Zechariah is still looking at this and he says in verse 20, and then the Lord showed me four carpenters. And that word means what it says. They were four craftsmen. They were four, not, he doesn't say the Lord showed me four prophets. He doesn't say there were four saviors or there were four, uh, apostles. Not at all. He says they were four carpenters. Four carpenters. Carpenters were engravers. They were, uh, builders. They were men who measured and built and, and they structured things and that's who God calls. So here's these, Four global powers. These are this, these, these are these elements, these horns that Zechariah sees that are, uh, you know, pushing God's people out of Jerusalem and taking them off to Babylon. So God counters that and he counters it with four carpenters. You say, wow. <laughs> you gotta wonder where this is going. Everybody, you all have the same look on your face. Uh, I came here to hear about, uh, something good here. So, we're hearing about carpenters. And watch 21. And then said I, what came these to do? And he spake unto, which is your question as well, I guess. And he spoke saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, the four global horns here, four global powers, that no man did lift up his head. But these four horns, these carpenters, have come to scare them. That word fray means to scare them. To cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. My response to these powers that exist in the earth are carpenters. I mean, that's what he says. These are four horns that are uh, that are uh, existent in the world, and uh, you can go back and you can look at uh, in verse fifteen. We read, and I'm sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped towards the affliction. And therefore saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. So they were they were used in the program, but he says I'm displeased with them. Now it's time to to deal with them. These are the powers that took. Uh, Israel away. God says, now it's time to deal with them. I'm coming back to Jerusalem. I'm coming back to restore. I'm going to do something. So what I'm going to do to counter these global powers, these, uh, these elements of the nations here, I'm going to send four carpenters out. Carpenters. Craftsmen. Now, I, I have to explain what a carpenter is in the Hebrew. Uh, it is the word, uh, trash. In the C-H-A-R-A-S-H, it is, uh, it is a word that means an engraver, an artificer, uh, an artisan. But it also has this other element to the word or the meaning of the word. It means that they are skilled or skillful to destroy. They are warriors. So they are, they are builders. I guess, you know, immediately when I heard this phrase and I began to look into the meaning of it, um, 
I began to think about Nehemiah and how that he went back to build a wall. And you remember that? Uh, the, the men were up on the, on the walls and they had, a, uh, they had a trowel in one hand, they had a tool in one hand, and they had a sword in the other hand. So there's this idea that, uh, you know, they're not only, they're not only workers and not, not only laborers, but, uh, you know, they're a force to be reckoned with too. You probably don't want to mess with this group of bricklayers here. You don't want to mess with these carpenters. And uh, God says, God says that uh, I'm going to use these four uh, to fray these other global horns that exist out there. Wow, what a strange, what a strange beginning. What a strange way to look at it. Now, I have a Jewish Bible, and as I told you before, it reads from back to front. Uh, it, it's it's uh, language is very insightful. Let me read it. What it says. Then I looked up and saw four, four horns that I asked, what are these? And I asked the angel that was talking with me, and he said, these horns represent the nations that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths in the, in the wording here of the Jewish Bible. He showed me four blacksmiths. And what are these men coming to do? I asked the angel, and the angel replied, these four horns, these nations scattered and humbled Israel. Now these blacksmiths have come to terrify these nations and throw them down and destroy them. Yeah, right. Now, a blacksmith you don't want to mess with, right? I, I saw a blacksmith yesterday. We were up at the, at the festival yesterday and uh, getting, get, gathering ideas, perhaps. But uh, I was up there, and this guy, I saw the smoke coming out of one of the boots that were up there. and it was, it, it, I said, that's coal smoke. I said, for sure, that's cold smoke, because it's a unique color. And uh, went up there, and uh, some of you will remember in the old days, Brother Jaron was out here with his forge and uh, had a fire going all day. And I, I went over and just chatted with the blacksmith. And I said, hey, I uh, you know, appreciate a good blacksmith. And, and sure enough, one thing about a blacksmith, you don't want to get in the way of his right hook. Because he's handling that hammer all day long. And he's just got a pretty stout right hand. And... Uh, I made sure I approached him from the left side and talked to him that way. But uh, blacksmiths, you probably wouldn't want to reckon with them because they're, they're a rough and tumble group. But anyway, uh, we're talking four blacksmiths here, or four carpenters, or four craftsmen, however you want to describe it. Uh, and God says, that's what I'm going to do to counter these four global powers that are out there. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, these are just four individual personalities because I think it is actually uh, bigger than just that. But I, I want to I say a little, give you a little quotation here that uh, Brother Branham uh, gives to us. And he says now, uh, in the Easter seal, and this is 1965, he said, now this is uh, God's promise. He said, these are God's promise of the resurrection he's talking about. And he said he'd pour out his spirit in the last day. And he said... And then that's what they, the believers, would do. He said he'll pour out his spirit in the last days. And, and that's what they would do. They would lay hands on their sick. And everything was in God's promise. Everything they did. When God poured out his spirit upon the early church there, he said everything was in God's promise. And then he quotes the scripture out of Joel, I'll pour out my spirit. And all of these different promises that he made, everything is laying right there in God's promise. Jesus redeemed it to us. Jesus redeemed it to us. 
So when the Spirit of God poured, poured itself out on the day of Pentecost, it just put the early church into action. Now, uh, now they were not waiting on Jesus to heal, but they were the ones going and laying hands on the sick, and the sick were healed. They were not, uh, you know, they were not uh, just bystanders in the process now, but when the Spirit of God poured itself out upon them, now they went into action and they were, they were not afraid to face death. They, like Stephen, uh, they were not afraid to take the gospel and go into uh, other areas that were hostile. They were not afraid to do that when the Spirit of God poured itself out upon them. In other words, I'm suggesting to you this morning that when the Spirit of God uh, comes upon a, a believer, a real believer, they're not afraid to take on the enemy. They're not afraid to carry out the will of God. They're not afraid to carry out the commission of God. Because it's not them anymore, it's Christ driving them to act the way they do. Now, here's a little perspective that might be a little different for you. In Jehovah Jireh, Brother Branham said now in his prayer at the end of the service, we pray that you'll receive these tonight that raise their hands and may they receive uh, Jehovah's sacrifice for them tonight. Watch now. He says, and each one of them, Lord, he says, be taken into the kingdom peacefully and given eternal life and then baptized by the Holy Ghost into the church of the living God. Watch. May each one of them receive what Jehovah has provided for them and be taken into the kingdom peacefully and given eternal life and then baptized by the Holy Ghost into the church of the living God and positionally placed into the body as a position to work with the members of the body of Christ. Huh. Now, I have news for you this morning. If you feel like, and this is not untypical, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of this, uh, there, there, let's say it this way. I can say it as, as uh, diplomatically as I can. There can be an attitude among people that, you know what, when I come into the message and I, I believed and I separated and I got all the books and got all the tapes and got my phone filled and, uh, you know, I learned to dress and uh, made all the changes that I need to do. Now, I just kind of sit back and observe until our bodies are changed. Now, I'm not saying that for you. Not at all. There must be somebody on the Internet somewhere listening who maybe needed that said. Someone, somewhere. But I will say it again, all right, just so that person gets it. I, I just say it again that... Uh, when we are called into the body, we are not called here as a part of the body just to be an observer. All right, let's, let's put it this way. My body is, my physical body is made up of all kinds of parts. Got some extra parts. And all of those parts have to do their job. Otherwise, my goodness, it, it really gets sticky, right? I mean, it, it gets squirrely. In other words, if my heart started to say, well, you know what? I'm just going to sit and watch for a while. I'm not going to, I'm going to take a day off. You know where you'd be at the end of that day? You'd be six feet under, right? The, the heart was created to do a job. The heart was created to work. And when all of the parts of the body work, then you accomplish what needs to be accomplished. I'm saying this to you today, that I believe that when the Spirit of God comes into your life, it is not just to become a professional observer and a professional listener in a church and somebody who expends the most effort to try to stay awake during a service and figure out where they're going to go for lunch. I believe that we are called into action 
Because God now is, I believe, the force that propels us to act the way we do and to do the things that we need to do in order to carry out God's will. Now, after all, uh, this is not about my will. It's not about my ambition. It's not about my program. Uh, it's not about my vision. As a matter of fact, I surrendered all of that when, uh, when we came to Christ. But I believe that God has a will and a purpose for every one of you being here, like God has a purpose for every part of my body being here. And I believe that when they work, that's when things get done that are pleasing to the Father. And I say today, I'm calling all of you into action because God needs carpenters. Hello, carpenters. Hello, blacksmiths. Now, in order to really kind of explain this, um, I got to go back to one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. If you will, take your Bible. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 31. And this is probably the best explanation of what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Um, This is a a story of when Moses is up in the mount getting the Ten Commandments. And he went up there for 40 days. You remember Joshua went halfway up and stayed. And and, um, uh, Moses is up in the mount there. And God is communing with him. God speaking to him and telling him things that he wants done. And this is how we're going to worship. And this is how we're going to structure uh, the order of things. And this is how we're going to make a tabernacle. And all these other little pieces here that he gives to Moses. He's just uh, describing all of this. Or describing all of this. And Moses is, uh, you know, attending the voice of God and listening to what God has to say. Uh, if you go back in the previous chapters, there's a whole bunch of instruction that God gives to Moses. It's just God and Moses. Joshua's halfway down the hill. But as you know that uh, on the bottom of the hill where all the Israelites were gathered, and this is the deal, right? This was the deal that uh, we want you to speak to, to Moses. We'll stay down here. We don't want to come up into the mount. It's too terrifying. So we want you to speak to Moses. So God honored that, and Moses is up in the mountain. The people are down below. But they, they got to thinking under Aaron down there, they got to thinking that, well, maybe Moses is not coming back. And you know what? We're here in the wilderness, and... And uh, it's rolling around to Saturday, so we got to have church. Guess what they do? They said, let's take all of our gold and our earrings and our bracelets that we got out of Egypt and let's throw them in the fire. And we're going to have some of these blacksmiths come along and we're going to have them make a golden calf. You've got to remember now, they were a long time in Israel. There were hundreds of years in Israel, or sorry, in Egypt. And they, they were around the worship uh, in Egypt, and they made this golden calf. And the Bible says that it sprung up out of the fire. And uh, now they all began to dance and shout and laugh and, uh, you know, carry on in front of this golden calf. Now, all of this is unbeknownst to Moses, because he's up in the presence of God, uh, receiving the word for his day. And I've described this story to you many times. I love the story. It's just really great. Uh, of how that God says to Moses, uh, you better go down. And Moses says, well, I hear the sound of, uh, you know, rejoicing. And God says, that's not rejoicing. That's not rejoicing. Go down. And Moses goes down, and here it is, the sound of, of, of revelry. And, uh, you know, the sound of uh, dancing and rejoicing over things that are not, they're not worshiping God. God knows that, right? And Moses discovers that. And when he goes down and he looks and he sees what's going on and he sees the golden calf, my goodness, I thought God delivered us from that. And he takes the uh, stones and he throws them down and, and uh, crashes, uh, smashes the stones on the, on the earth there. And I mean, now, it, it's not a, no one fell asleep in church that day. Let's put it this way. Because they didn't know what Moses was going to come up with. And they didn't know whether the fire of God uh, was going to come down and destroy them all. They really didn't know. This was a bad day. 
But you know, these are all blacksmiths who are under wrong inspiration. These are craftsmen who were able to make a golden calf, but they were getting the wrong message. They were getting the message of a previous age, of a previous time. And they were, they were making an idol that God hates, and they were making this thing, and uh, they figured, well, it's the only thing we know. So therefore, uh, let's, let's make it. And these artisans got in there, and they started to fashion this. They knew how to, they knew how to make something. They just needed to be told. But they were given a wrong, uh, wrong message, so therefore they made the wrong thing. You're never going to produce the right thing by hearing the wrong thing. Right? You're never going to be right by hearing wrong. And so it's, it's really critical, and God knew that, and, and uh, so <laughs> Moses begins to deal with them. But now I, I need you to, to just back up for a moment here and, and remember that God told Moses, I want the ark to be this way, and I, wanna, I want you to be able to build it in such a way that we can carry it. And so it's going to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, and we're going to wander with it. But we don't find anywhere where Moses actually built it himself. Moses doesn't even have a workshop. He doesn't have a tent or a basement in his tent. So he's not down there in the shop uh, on his day off making the tabernacle for the wilderness. He's not sewing the curtains. And he's not fashioning the rods that are going to run through those sockets and carry the, the ark. He's not doing that. Let's take a look at what happens here. God says to Moses, I'm in Exodus 31 and verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Basileel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and silver and brass and in the cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. I have actually, Moses, I've actually put my, my spirit within people in the congregation already to carry out the vision I'm giving you. And Moses, I, I'm not asking you to build this tabernacle. I'm just asking you to bring the word of the Lord to the people. I'm asking you to bring the message of the hour to the people. And when you bring the message of the hour, there's going to be something in them that responds to hearing that word and rise up and say, I can do that, I can do that. Yes, sir. Amen. We believe that. Yes, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's, amen. We're behind that. And somehow or another, they related to that and they believed that and they responded to that because God had already put that in them. God didn't tell them, look, guys, I got a vision. I got a plan here. Why don't you try to go and learn now how to get yourself a, a book on 12 steps on building a tabernacle for the wilderness? They didn't do that. God had already placed that in them. God had already deposited something in them. Now, all they had to do was to hear the right message. And when, it, when they did, it inspired them to produce the right thing. Because you'll never produce the right thing here if you're hearing the wrong message. But you will, you're, you're, you're in a position to produce the right thing if you're hearing the right word. Now, remember now, it's not just sitting in the right church hearing the right message. There's got to be that Spirit of God thing that pours itself out, that quickens that Word and makes it come alive in you, that causes you to be transformed so you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Does that make sense? 
It's not just you sitting here trying to remember everything I say today, uh, but it's rather uh, God having placed something in you and then sitting underneath the hearing of the word and God then coming and quickening that and making it real so that you're sitting there saying, wow, this message is not just for William Branham. This message is not just for our, uh, the elder folks. This message is not just for uh, the preachers and the, and the big names. But rather, this message is for me. I believe that. I can apply that. I can walk in that. I, I can see that. I can understand that. And this is what happened to Basileel. God had already put something in him. But it wasn't just Basileel. As we read on in the scripture, it says in verse 6, And I, behold, I have given him a holy amp the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. And the tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony, everything, the table and its furniture, everything. And the anointing oil, verse 11, and the incense, according to all that I have commanded thee, shall they do. I've given you the vision. I've, I've, I've given you the, uh, the word for the hour. I've given you the light that everyone needs to walk in. But you know what? I've given those people a spirit to accomplish what it is that's in my heart. Their job now becomes fulfilling what's in my heart. That's what I'm after. That's what God's after. And in order to accomplish that, He poured his spirit out into those individuals even when they're sitting there in the congregation under Aaron. They never asked God for it. God gave it to them. And when they were sitting in the congregation under the wrong headship, they went to work producing the wrong thing. When the right leadership comes in and the right word is preached and the right vision is given, they respond to that and say, Lord, forgive me for what I did. Now let me build the right thing. Let me walk walk the right way. Let me use my gift that you've given me in the right way. Now, let me take you a little step further and say this. The word Basileel, the name Basileel, it's a really interesting name, and it means a shadow of God. It means a shadow of God. And God named this man, Basileel, the shadow of God because God had a work for him to do in God's shadow. We don't find anywhere where God actually spoke to Basileel. We don't find anywhere where it says the word of the Lord came to Basileel. Doesn't, uh, never happened. Uh, God never comes to him in a dream. God never appears to him and gives him a direct message. We don't find anywhere where that happens. Not at all. You know how Basileel heard from God? He heard from God through the word of the hour. He heard from God through the ministry that stood there, and a vindicated prophet that stood there and preached a message to the people. And Basileel, now he begins to launch out and he's beginning to work. But all the time he's working, he's working in the shadow of God. In other words, if, if uh, hey, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have, uh, Ethan work for me in my shadow, you know what? I'm gonna have to be relatively close to him, right? I'm gonna have to be relatively close in order for my shadow to cast itself over him. And then all he does, all that he accomplishes, he knows somehow God is around somewhere, God is near, and God is close by, because everything he does now, he does in the shadow of God. What a, what a work that is. What a work that is compared to the golden calf. But now God is overshadowing this work. And God says, I, I'm going to be right here, right next to Ethan, watching over him. Hey, but I've already given him the spirit he needs. I've already given him the wisdom he needs. I've already given him the talent and the gift that he needs. You know what he needs to do? He needs to realize that what he's got in him comes from me. It is my gift to him. 
He did not go to bricklaying school. He did not go to carving school. He did not. He, he, was, a, he was a man who was gifted. And let me tell you something. Nothing happens by chance with God's people. And I believe if you're gifted a certain way, it's not because all of a sudden you came up with an idea. And neither is it because you went and learned it. Some of you are naturally predisposed to certain gifts and talents. You ought to remember that that comes from God. And the moment that you lose sight of the fact that it comes from God, you lose your humility. Because when you realize, you know, we, if, if Ethan was uh, uh, Basileel and, uh, you know, he made this uh, altar and made this beautiful tabernacle for the wilderness. And, uh, you know, people are standing around, wow, look at that. Isn't that something? That's fantastic. Wow, I never saw anything like that. And, and Ethan comes up and says, I built that. I figured that out. I built that. You know what? It would take away from what God was really trying to do. Because the important thing for him was to always remember that that gift came from God. If you've got a gift to sing, and some of you do, we heard some, we hear some wonderful singing in this church, we heard some this morning, and we have very talented and blessed people, and you know what, that gift came without repentance, didn't it? It came without you asking God for it. Many of you, you were born with it. God placed it in there to bless the body of Christ. Even if you left the church, God forbid, if you walked away from the, uh, from the message of the hour and you went out in the world, you'd still be able to sing. Ask the people who followed Elvis Presley, right? They, he, Elvis still had his ability to sing out there because it was a God-given thing that he was born with. But that was not the intent that God had that it would entertain people in Laodicea. Your gift is to minister to the body of Christ. Your gift is to bless God's people and to strengthen them and edify them and encourage them in whatever way you possibly can to use what God's given you and maintain the spirit of humility so that you realize this is not really my ability and it's not really my gift. It's God's gift after all. And I'm just letting him use me to minister to the body. You don't have a right to do what you want with that gift. That is God's gift to you. Now, I I just want to say this, that when it comes to Basileel and, uh, you know, working in the shadow of God, it's an interesting thing because uh, (laughs) normally when you go to build a building... um, you know, like, for instance, when we were building the, the fellowship hall out, hall out here, uh, the first thing that you, you're really going to do, we have, well, we have an idea. You know, we need a fellowship hall. The need is there, right? Uh, and, and then we say, uh, we find a designer. We find an architect. We find somebody who is a visionary and can draw that out for us. And we say, give us that, and then we'll know, uh, you know, uh, we, we'll find a builder. We'll find hands that will actually execute it. In the, in the building of the tabernacle, though, God had it already drawn out. He had everything already figured out. He'd already described it to Moses in the previous chapters. So the, the message is that, that God is giving us is that uh, I don't need you to come up with a vision. I don't need you to come up with a plan. Aren't you glad God doesn't need for you to figure out how to get out of here when this is all over? God doesn't ask you to change your body. God doesn't ask you to try to figure out how you're going to uh, just keep walking like Enoch did and get out of this world. He doesn't, he doesn't ask you to create that scenario. I believe that God's already got a plan. Do you believe that? 
God knows exactly when it's going to be. He knows exactly how things are going to be. He knows exactly what he's got to do in you uh, before that happens. And he knows exactly where the world's going to be when all of that happens. Uh, as a matter of fact, we believe that God is a predestinator and God has it all figured out. He's just now looking for the basileals out there that will carry out what God's already got in his mind. And we believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God's got a plan for you already. He's not sitting there saying, now, what am I going to do with Ethan over there? What am I going to do with Nathan? And what am I going to, you know, help him to, uh, to, to accomplish in life? Hey, God's already got a plan. Do you believe that? Young people, you got to believe that God's already got a plan for you. What he's looking for is your willingness to submit to that so that God can accomplish and fulfill what God has designed already in your life. When he came to Basileel, he already had the plans for the tabernacle. He didn't ask Basileel to draw them up. He already had the plans made. But now he needed a Basileel that would realize, wow, God's anointed me to do this job and given me this gift to fulfill it. And he, and he, and he catapults himself into service and says, hey, here am I, Lord, send me. God did not ask any of us to come up with this message. God did not ask any of us to try to figure out what you could say to the people so that they would have rapturing faith. Can you imagine what it would be like if God gave that assignment? I want you to come up with something that's really going to inspire the people so they'll have rapturing faith. Uh, Hey, I'm glad he didn't give me that job. You know what? God already had it figured out. Matter of fact, even before Jesus walked on the earth, he told Malachi that in that day, I'll send Elijah the prophet. And he'll have what he needs to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And he'll have everything that's on earth at that particular time to capture a people and put them into a position of rapturing faith so that they will go when the time comes. God's already got to figure it out. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for carpenters. Because as we find ourselves in this world with encroaching darkness all around us, Hey, I'm not going to be long, so I just want you to listen this morning, just very briefly here, a little bit more. Uh, as, we, as we live in a world uh, that's falling apart, uh, we, live in, uh, we live in a circumstance where the culture is in chaos. And we see that, uh, you know, things are, are crumbling fast, and there's all kinds of things there that are not going to be turned around. They're not going to be changed at all. And there are problems out there that no one really is able to solve. You can see the, the, those problems, like, like immigration. Immigration is not going to come by electing another president. Immigration solutions are not going to uh, come because we elect another president. You, you have situations in countries that, uh, you know, that, that cause people to leave and they want to pursue something better. You'll always have that. And now we have a really interesting situation in our world, where, uh, in our country here, where a lot of people don't want to work. You give people enough free money and they don't want to work anymore. Now, the whole thing is backed up, right? Everything is backed up. And they're saying that, you know, they, they, they gather the heads of these big corporations together and they parlay and they talk about this stuff. And they're saying, hey, this is really, this is, we're not at the end of this. We're, you know what, we can get some trucks over there to Los Angeles and truck this stuff around and, and uh, you know, get it distributed to Walmart so everybody's happy at Christmas time. But, you know what, this picture is a little bit bigger than this. And so we, we, we really don't have enough people to work because a lot of people have figured out I can stay home and make as much or more than what I used to do in my job, washing dishes at the restaurant. And now you go into Cracker Barrel, and uh, if, if you do, and, and go into Cracker Barrel, and half the seats are empty, right? 
And you got a lineup outside, two hours lineup outside. And you're saying, hey, half the seats are empty. They said, we don't have dishes. We have dishes because there's nobody to wash them. So now part of, the, part of their solution is, well, hey, open the gates and let the immigrants come in. And we'll let people come in and work for a lower wage and have them here and, and, and get things done. Get our crops picked in the fields and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, let me tell you, you've got a diminishing population in a country like Germany. There's a lot of people there who don't want to put uh, ceiling tiles on a, or a, a shingles on a roof outside in the hot sun. A lot, of wealthy, a lot of wealthy people would say, well, hey, hire somebody to do that. Well, you know what? There's not enough people to hire. As populations are, are, are uh, reducing and so forth, well, you know, we're, we're going to let so many immigrants in. So they're actually pressuring the government to let immigrants come in. I, and let me tell you, it's, it's a pretty snarly situation. And there are things that are happening in this world that are not going to be solved by putting another politician in there. We have global issues, Right. We have global problems here that are, that are quite serious. And then uh, you look at all of the darkness that was prophesied to come in our time, and it says a gross darkness would cover the people. So not only is the world in a dark place, but the people running it are actually in a darker place. And Brother Bam says like a creeping fog that, uh, you know, comes over the people. And uh, uh, once, that, once that occurs, let me tell you, it's hard to find your way. It's hard to navigate your way. And, and we, have, uh, we have forces in place. Let me guarantee you that we have forces in place that if they could, they would shut down the kinds of things that we say in our churches. There are forces that exist that do not want to extend tax benefits and so forth and give you a tax write-off for uh, offerings and stuff that you're given. Not that that's a big deal, and that's not why we give. Right? But I will tell you that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in Congress that say we should be cutting off this right and cutting off that privilege and cutting off this here because, uh, you know, this is just a small group of Christians. It's a diminishing number of Christians, so they're not really worried about uh, so much about the evangelical uh, numbers now to get elected. They're appealing more to other uh, groups in society, right? And, and so, therefore, you know, there's shifts going on all over the place here. And we find ourselves continually, as we go along, more outnumbered all the time. And there are horns that are established in our world that are, that, are, that are waiting for the opportunity to push you into the sea. We are, we are surrounded by powers of Sodom and powers of the cosmos that if they could, they would shut us down in a heartbeat. I told you about the situation in Russia that's going on there and the people you know, streaming there and waiting for them to quote these particular 23 sermons that have been banned or outlawed in the country of Russia. And they're actually streaming and listening to that. And we really don't know who's streaming today, right? When you're on the Internet, it's available for everybody. And so we live in a time of increasing pressure because that's what Brother Branham taught us would happen. It would become a squeeze for the people of God, right? And that's similar to what we found in Zechariah chapter 1, where, uh, you know, the people were taken off to Babylon, and they were squeezed, they were forced out uh, of Jerusalem and forced out of Israel, and they went off into Babylon for all those years. And God says, hey, those powers, they got, they got uh, carried away. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up four carpenters. I'm going to raise up four blacksmiths. And I'm going to show those powers in the world that no matter how far you push, and no matter how hard you squeeze, and no matter how difficult you make it, these people, these people know how to fight. These people are not afraid. These people are not led by fear. 
These people are trained. They are trained to think a certain way. And they are trained in the discipline of faith. And they have faith in their God. You understand who I'm talking about now? I'm not talking about Brother Branham. I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about ministers. I'm talking about how God can take somebody, like four carpenters, they're not even named. And they're, uh, you know, they represent, uh, it's a symbol of representing four people that God has gifted in the congregation uh, that God can choose and he can stand them up against the world powers and the powers of darkness and the powers of hell and stand them up in front of that and they'll say, I will not be denied. I'm one of them and I'm going through. There's no power strong enough to stop me. There's no power strong enough to slow me down. I believe I'm going to be there. When the bride goes, I'm going to be with that bride. Come on, folks. That ought to be our cry. That ought to be our song. You ought to be reacting like Basilio there in the congregation and saying, Yeah, I can do that. I believe that, Moses. That's right. Amen. And what has God put in you to counter the pressures of this world? You look at a man like, you know, you go back and look at people in history and you go back and look at a man like Gutenberg. You know, he's not, a, not an apostle, he's not a messenger, he's not Martin Luther, he's not, uh, you know, anyone great, but God allows him to be able to de- develop the, uh, the printing press so that, uh, you know, he can print a Bible. And they can take the Bible, and now, now God, you know, enables Martin Luther to translate the Bible from the Vulgate, the Latin, now into the language of the people. But that's no good. I mean, it's great to have a translator, but if you don't have a printer... What's a good, a good translation? So uh, somehow or another, we don't hear anywhere. And I've been to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, and I saw the recreation of uh, Gutenberg's press. And, and I listened to the story uh, and how his life is such an unusual life, even uh, died bankrupt uh, in his time and all the other strange things that happened to Gutenberg. But God had put something in Gutenberg. Listen to me. God had put something in Gutenberg that allowed him, when the need arose, when the need was there, Gutenberg listened to that need and said, Now, goodness, we have the Bible translated into German. I can print that. We don't hear anywhere where God appears to Gutenberg. We don't hear anywhere where it says the word of the Lord came to Gutenberg. But God, you know, he's empowered and he's inspired and he's, and, and he's used of God to create the first Bible. It takes him a long time to do it because he's got to screw down every plate and put the, uh, you know, put the paper in there and put the, uh, you know, put the, uh, all the things in place and all the pages. He's got to sort them all out. And it was a laborious, tedious process. But you know what? It worked. And from that, from that, he changed the world. He actually changed the world by allowing somebody to have, uh, you know, one of those Bibles in their hand, be able to carry it and be able to go to church and open it up. That was a great big old thing and open it up and preach it. There's only 11 of them now that are left in existence here and uh, they're invaluable uh, artifacts now. But, you know, from that, uh, all of the other uh, Bibles and the printing processes and all the rest of it, uh, you know, came into being because one man uh, recognized that there was a need. And somehow or another, he's working there. And even though he's not a great businessman, he's working in the shadow of God. And he accomplished something that when it's done, the world is never the same ever again. You look at these men like Adonai and Judson and... 
uh, you know, Livingston and people, they're not church age messengers. They're not, uh, you know, uh, great orators and all of that. Uh, Livingston spent most of his life among people who he didn't understand. He didn't, they, he didn't speak their language and they didn't speak his. And yet he made a mark in history, made a mark among those people there. So much so, as I told you before, that when he died, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they took his body and put it on the boat and sent it back to England, but they cut his heart out and they buried it under the tree because he said his heart was in Africa. His heart was in Africa, and the amount of work that, and the amount of good that he did for the people of Africa, it was just an extraordinary thing. And you know, uh, it's just an amazing thing how you think that this message is uh, something that uh, you know is for prophets and for ministry and for uh, you know great men of God to go do great things in the world. And I'm saying this that I believe that God, in order to counter the darkness in this world and to counter the offenses against God in this world and to counter all the unbelief in this world. God looks at that and says, I'm going to pick me a couple of carpenters. I'm going to get a couple of blacksmiths and I'm going to, I'm just going to choose them and I'm going to use them to stand them up in this world that's falling apart and say, but it ain't all falling apart. I'm going to stand them up in the midst of all of this. And when it all goes under, they're going to be standing there singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I mean, it was God's response. God didn't call for great armies. God didn't call for prophets. God didn't call for uh, fire. God didn't call for anything else. He said, I'm going to call carpenters. I'm going to call blacksmiths. I'm going to call people. I'm just going to call people. Brother Branham said, you remember the story of how Elisha uh, was called. And uh, he was out uh, in the field plowing with his oxen. Remember that story? And uh, we don't even hear any place where God comes to Elisha and says, Thou shalt follow Elijah. We don't find that at all. We just find that when uh, Elijah walked through the field, Elijah walked through the field, and, and uh, uh, Elisha's plowing, that Elijah just walks over and takes his robe and throws it over Elijah's shoulders. You know what he does? He keeps on plowing. It took another 10 years, right? You remember the, you remember the quotes? And Brother Branham said that God didn't, the robe didn't fit Elisha when Elijah threw it over him. But he didn't alter the robe. He altered the man to fit the robe. Remember that? But Brother Branham said this about Elisha. Listen now. He said, uh, Elijah knew that his days were numbered. And he said, uh, God called Elisha to be the successor. And he said, God does the calling and God does the choosing. And God does the electing and God does the setting in order. And he sets some apostles and prophets and evangelists and so forth. He said, God does that himself. We cannot make one hair black or white. He says, neither can we add one thing to our stature. But God in his infinite grace by election and foreknowledge sets things in order. And every wheel works just right. And he said, I'd be a discouraged man this morning if I didn't believe in election. I'd be a discouraged man because, you know, you'd be thinking, well, maybe this is just my thoughts or my idea. But I, I believe that God sets things in order. I believe God knows what he's doing. Now, if you don't mind, I, I could go. I, we are really blessed to have uh, many people here that are talented and many people here that are gifted and, and many that are uh, able, you know, to do so many things. I mean, it's just incredible how many things that a lot of our people can actually do. Uh, I mean, it's kind of scary, really. Uh, but, you know, I, I think about how that, you know, we've had uh, technical people here. Uh, you know, Brother Mark uh, Sylvester here ran our technical system when I first came, and I asked Brother Mark to take that over and, uh, you know, had 
had an ability, had a knowledge of that stuff already. I didn't have to tell Mark, all right, Mark, now this is how it works. Uh, he knew how it worked and uh, had, that, had that skill, had that ability to be able to figure all that out and develop a system whereby we could have good sound here and we could have uh, Internet streaming and all of that. And I think all that, a lot of that was done under Mark's time as, as, as uh, looking after things. And then uh, Brother Peter down here took over after Brother Mark. And then uh, Brother Jeremy now runs, uh, runs the show, pardon the pun. And, uh, you know, sometimes you think, well, uh, that's just something that I like. That's just something that I, I know how to do. I, I, I'd like to just counter that and say this, that, you know, that, that service that these brothers have done and Jeremy is doing, I, that service that these people are involved in and, uh, you know, Lucas, they're learning how to, you know, do the web stuff and so forth. That's, that, to me, that's just not a fluke. But I believe that God knows how to empower certain people to do something that blesses the entire body, not only here, but all around the world. People that are affected by, uh, you know, the, the ability to stream and the ability to listen. And not only uh, the streaming and the, and the listening, but all the other technical things that are done. And, and Mark and Peter went over to Tanzania over there and trained the people. We brought computers over and trained the people over there uh, in how to do certain things on the computer and to be able to, uh, you know, do the message program and all the rest of it there. I tell, tell you what. You know, when you realize that uh, this is not something, and I know these brothers very well, I, I, I know this, that this is not something that they walk out of church and say, you know what, we're probably going to be first in the, din- first in the dinner line at, at December 18th when we have the dinner. No, these brothers would recognize, and I'll tell you what, God blesses it when you recognize that's a gift from God. That's not something that I've done. That's not something that I've figured out. That's something like Basileel that God would use and, and be able to give a person a skill that blesses the body of Christ. Brother Branham even said about the invention of the tape recorder. He said, uh, you know, that was, that was allowed to be able to capture the sermons and to be able to have them preserved. Uh, and let me ask you a question. How many of you are glad that those sermons were preserved? Without it, we'd be guessing and wondering what, 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 what witnesses said about what Brother Branham said. And you know how that goes, right? A lot of people say, well, I think he said this, and I think he said something else. And, uh, you know, it gets lost. It gets obscure over time. We have every word. We have the exact words that he said and the way that he said it. God gave it to us because God inspired somebody to figure out how we can capture that. And you know what? We don't even know his name. We don't even know who came up with that in the first place. But I thank God that God moved on somebody and somebody responded to that to be able to be used of God. And everybody now in the bride is affected by that. Everybody in the bride is affected. Everybody is benefited by by God using them. But you've got to remember now, it's not you. It, it's, not your, it's not your ability. It's, it's a gift. And if it's a gift that God gives, then you've got to give the credit to God. You've got to give the glory to God. Whether you're the person doing it or whether someone else benefits from it, we all, it's all designed to give the glory to God. But when those gifts operate correctly, you know, I, I, I was just thinking about our own assembly this week and I was thinking about the trustees and, and how that they operate together. And, uh, you know, our, our illustrious uh, leader of trustees is not here today, Brother Ben, uh, he's listening. And, and I, you know, he, he has, he just has a way, he just has an ability to be able to organize the troops and get stuff done. And sometimes you just turn around and it's done. You know, you wonder, how did he do that? 
How did he do that? And, and he has brothers that, uh, you know, catch the vision and work together. And uh, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't find anywhere where God uh, comes down and appears to Brother Bannon and tells him, oh, we need to do this, we need to expand this, we need to paint this. I don't believe that's the way. I, but I believe that those are believers that are working together, catching the vision of the hour, catching the inspiration that God gives, and then using those gifts and talents to be able to overcome and to be able to bless the rest of the body. But now let's, let's take this a little step further because it's more than just, you know, being a good drum player, a good singer, and a good painter. It's, it's more than just that. I believe that God uses the bride, especially in the last day, to counter those horns that exist in this world. That there are powers, there are forces, there are, if, if possible, if those for, imagine if those angels let go and allowed the winds of strife to be free upon the earth. Imagine what a different world it would be today. Imagine what a different place this entire world would be today if, if the, the, the winds of strife really began to blow on this. And the Bible says it's going to be a time like no other time that ever has been on the face of the earth. A time of darkness like Daniel describes and a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen. The world has seen some pretty dark times. But you can imagine how, how traumatic that would be. I mean, nothing would be the same. Nothing would be normal if nature gave away, and it will. And, and the armies of the world give way, and they will. And all the economy of the world will give way, and it will. And all those things take place. I will say this, that God never left us here in the lateness of this hour unless he knew we could be like those four carpenters that stand up and say, I am the, the evidence that God is not finished yet, and I am the evidence of his victory, and I am the evidence that God is still using common individuals to overcome. And God's using common people like us. Not great prophets and not great ministers and not great people with worldwide, uh, you know, ministries and so forth. Not, but, but you, you might be sitting there saying, oh, I'm too young. Or you're sitting there saying, I know some of you are saying, oh, I'm too old. Let me tell you something. God has allowed you to live and be here today to hear that God has chosen you for a specific purpose. You're not here by fluke. You're not here by chance. You're not here by accident. I believe that you are here because God wants you to shape and mold the minds of your children and your grandchildren. I believe that he wants to, uh, to, to, to create strong families that are a paradox to this world. How people, how young people can live pure in this world and, and be able to come to the altar and say, this is the first time I ever kissed this girl. Let me tell you, that's not heard of in our world today. That's not her. The horns of this world are pushing hard against that kind of stuff. And any kind of morality and any kind of boundary and any kind of decency, they're pushing hard against that. And you have been chosen by God to stand here in the last day and say, but you know what? It's possible by the grace of God. It's possible by the grace of God. And we don't have to slide under. We don't have to be pulled under into the gutter of immorality of, uh, of the immorality of this world. But we can stand pure and say, you know what, by God's grace, I've not partaken in any of that. By God's grace, we've re- resisted the, the influences and the pulls of this world. By God's grace, we have uh, stood the ground and, uh, you know, been, been faithful in what God's called us to do. Brother Bram's not here. Brother Bram's not here. And you know what, a lot of the, even, you know, we look back and look at the great ministers that, uh, that arose even after Brother Brannon and arose. And the ones that you know came before Brother Brannon, Billy Sunday and all the other great uh, ministers that traveled the country and the ones that went around with all their uh, ten, Oral Roberts and all the other ones that were out there. 
And then you look at the ministers, even the, you know, the great men that, uh, and they did great things and I'm not taking away from it at all. But you know what? We've come to a place now where things are a little bit different than what they used to be. Now it's just us. And in a sense, it's kind of scary. It's just us. And we don't need you to, you know, try to become something that God hasn't anointed you to do. We don't want you to try to project yourself out there and say, well, see what a great thing that I'm doing. Or to try to, uh, you know, out-profit the prophet. Or outrun the bride. We don't need anybody to do that. You know what? Because that only winds up eventually bringing reproach against the body. And we got to lasso him and bring him back and say, hey, slow down. We're all going together. We're all getting into, into heaven together. We don't need people to, you know, to, to try to intellectualize things. We don't need people to try to memorialize things and build statues to Brother Branham. I mean, if you love Brother Branham at all, you wouldn't build a statue to him because to me, if I understand Brother Branham right, that would be appalling to him. He'd turn over in his grave if he knew that we were making statues. And you know you can make statues in other ways than just the bust and the, you know, the, the figure of that person, right? Come on. You can make idols out of William Branham. People have done it, and they've made all kinds of things there that they bow to. I'll tell you what. I don't believe that's the purpose. I don't believe that's why God's left us here. I believe God's left us here to prove to this world that in the midst of all of its decay and its rottenness and its perversion and all the other things that are uh, going on in this world, God still has his hand upon a couple of carpenters that are scattered about here and are able to stand and say, I will not be denied. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe in the midst of all of this unbelief. I believe and I trust God. And I believe that God has got a purpose for me being here. And I'm one of those people that God has chosen not to die. But to walk off here in faith into another dimension one day. I've been chosen. God is teaching me. Uh, how to do things, but he's not teaching me to die. Now, time may go on long enough that some of us may slip away by the way of the grave, and that's, you know, that's God, that's up to God. Uh, certainly not up to us because we'd like to hold on to you as long as we can, but that's up to God, right? Every man's life is in God's hands. But I'll tell you this, God, I believe today, is training a generation to live without interruption and to live without the interruption of death and to live without having to go through a funeral to get into glory. I believe that God is training a generation and we should not be sitting there saying, well, I want to cut my hair or I don't want to, I'm not sure if I should be baptized. If you're not sure you should be baptized, read your Bible. Because your Bible tells very clearly whether you should be baptized or not. And it tells you how to be baptized. Right? It tells you a whole bunch of things about baptism that are real basic and real fundamental. And Brother Random said, you don't even need to have a revelation uh, about baptism. It's staring you right in the, in the face right there. We should not be debating about, uh, you know, well, what color the sanctuary should be and all the other things. I say this. I say that it's time for the bride of Christ, the people here, not, not just the people here, but the people who are left here on the earth to grow up and to realize that God has not only given me a gift, but he's also made me kind of terrible. Because the carpenters had this aspect or characteristic of terror about them. That when those other horns showed up and these four carpenters stood up, these men were not afraid of a battle. They didn't back up and say, whoa, 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 I'll go in hiding. They rather rolled up their sleeves and they said, hey, it's on. <laughs> it's on. I mean, hey, if I, if, I, <laughs> if I enter into battle and you die, I win. And if we go in the battle and I die, I go to glory. (laughs) 
either way you add that up, I'm a winner either way. So I have nothing to lose. I'm not afraid of your ugly face, and I'm not afraid of your uh, objections, and I'm not afraid of your criticisms of me, and I'm not afraid of what might come, and I'm not afraid of what the government might do, and I'm not afraid of what my boss and my factory might do. I'm not afraid that I'm going to be abandoned or avoided or orphaned. I I believe that uh, he's going to watch out for me because he said he'd be with me even in me to the very end. And I'm not afraid of what the future holds. I'm not afraid of the future at all. I'm not afraid of the devil because uh, he doesn't really know, like Brother Jason said, he doesn't really know how to run anything except his mouth. And he doesn't really uh, bring accusations that stick because everything he says about you is not going to hold up in court. It's not going to matter at the end of the day because when God, if, if the righteous judge looks at you and say, what did I hear about you? And he looks at me, he's just going to see the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and he's just going to see white because red through red looks white and that's all he's going to see. And so therefore, I say this, come on, let's, let's, let's have at it because uh, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to lose. We need, we need men, we need young men that have backbone. We need young men that are not afraid to make a stand and say, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. And here's the day that I got saved. And here's the day I got baptized. And here's the day that I was set in service uh, for my king. And I'm not ashamed of the standards of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the standards of this message. I'm not ashamed uh, of being identified with the people of God. And I, I'll tell you what, I don't really care how long we're here. Because as long as we're here, the God that brought me this far is going to see me through right to the very end. And I say, bring it on. And I'll tell you what, this is uh, today, this is not really for me, this is for, for all of you because, uh, you know, I, I feel like my role is pretty uh, specified and I, I wake up in the morning and I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I know what I'm not supposed to be doing. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. But a lot, of, a lot of times, and I'm not being critical, but a lot of times, uh, you know, congregations will get into the mode of just sitting back and watching what happens. Well, that's pretty good. It's pretty good what they're doing. It's pretty good what the pastor's doing. Pretty good what this... Pretty good what Vision Books is doing. Pretty good what uh, over here. And we, we just try to absorb all we can and go out. I'll tell you what. I believe that God is calling people. I believe that God is, wants to inspire you. I believe he wants to find a few basileals in the assembly to work under the shadow of God. He didn't send Basileal out, just, do you just go out there? But the shadow of God followed him because that's what his name meant. And, and he went out and worked under the shadow of God. I'll tell you what. That's the safest place you could ever work is under the shadow of God. Brother Aaron, that's what God wants you to do is to work and always realizing that, you know what? The sun ain't too hot today because I'm standing in the shadow, standing in the shadow of the king. And he's with me everywhere I go and what I do. And I can endure and I can last because I'm standing in the shadow of the king. You might have thought that the work of this gospel was for everybody else. And I'm here to tell you this morning it's not. God has called you and given you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, like Brother Bram said, he said, put into the church of the living God and positionally place into the body as a position to work, to work with the members of the body of Christ. Brother Bram said an uncertain sound. He said, God has promised to come for his church and we don't know when that time will come. And he says, and then what does that make you do? He says, it wants, makes you want to work now to get everyone in that position you can for the rapture. Let me say it again. <clears throat> he said, what does that make you do? He says, it makes you want to work to get everyone in that position you can for the rapture. I've heard lots of times, I've quoted it myself, that you know, when the last come, one comes in and uh, we find the last one, then we'll all go. And I, I believe that that's true. But here's Brother Branham also saying that he says, we want to work and get everyone in position they possibly can. 
he says, for the rapture. So you know what? I want to be in the right position. I want to be in the right place. I want to be in the right church. I want to be doing the right thing. I, 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 like uh, my, uh, we were talking about uh, at the men's meeting, we were talking about uh, young men finding their role and their position. And there are ways to do that. There are resources you can use to use that. Because uh, I, I, for me, when I grew up and I came to, you know, came to the Lord, I wanted to be doing the right thing. I wanted to be at the right place so that if he appeared, then he would just be able to say, I knew where I'd find you. I knew you'd be here. I knew that. And I think in every man's heart, they, they, they would want to feel the same way. I, I, don't want, I don't want to be driven there, and I don't want to be forced there. I just want to be led to the right place so that when he shows up, he can just say, I knew I'd find you right there. That's exactly where I meant for you to be. That's exactly where I, you're supposed to be. Come on, folks. That's exactly what, uh, what should be the desire of every heart. And Brother Bram's saying that we need to work. In other words, there's some things that don't automatically happen. There's some things that don't automatically pan out. Or let's say it this way. Wouldn't it be silly if a man planted 10 acres of corn and sat there at the harvest time and whined and complained because he didn't harvest 100? That would be silly, wouldn't it? He planted 10, but he's whining and complaining because he didn't yield 100 acres of corn. Hello? Hello? You didn't get 100 acres of corn because you didn't sow 100 acres of corn. You want to yield 100 acres of corn, you got to sow 100 acres of corn, right? There's some things that God has given us to do with the gifts and talents that he's given to us, uh, you know, to put them in motion here. Because there's a lot of times we'll sit there and say, we just want God to do great things and we want God to do. And, and hey, listen, uh, Brother Branham taught us to ask for great things and ask for big things. That's what he taught us to do. But you know what? You have to let your faith reach out to be able to ask for big things and believe that God's going to do it. And how do we do that? We exercise our faith muscles. Isn't that right? It's not just a passive thing and say, well, you know, I go to church when I want, pay my tithes when I want, and do this and do that, and I don't want to do this, I don't want to be told this, and I don't want to have to listen to this, and, and you know, all the rest. We kind of pick and choose what we want, and then expect God to give you a hundred acres worth. You're probably only sowing five and a half with that attitude. May God give us a heart that says, Lord, you take what you've put in me. You know what you've put in me. I don't even always know what God's put in me. But whatever you put in me, speak to it. Speak to it. Give, give me a word that stirs me to do what you want me to do. It might be financial. It might be giving. It might be actively, you know, getting involved and getting your hands on something. It might be, uh, you know, in ministry. It might be in, in witnessing, whatever it is. It might be in music, whatever, it is, whatever way it is that God's dealt with you. And a lot of times we don't, we, we don't have because we don't ask. And we don't want to give God conditions and say, well, I'll do this if so, such and such a thing happens. And I'll do this if something else. Hey, who are we to tell God what God can do with his own gifts that he's placed in us? It isn't up to us, and it isn't our gift. If it's a gift, it comes from God. And so therefore, we should, when we acknowledge that, we maintain a humility that God can use. It's the proud and the lofty that God can use. And this is what I'm going to say, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is the way I'm going to be. Hey, listen, God has trouble using people like that. I'm saying this, that when we realize that God has called every single person in this room here today as a part of the body of Christ, and you have a function, you have a role, you have a place, you have a job to do, and there are horns out there, there are horns out there that are doing everything they can to intimidate and push against the body of Christ, you ought to say, Lord, make me a carpenter. Make me a blacksmith. Make me a horn that stands up. 
so that I can counter these things there and not be afraid. Let's stand on our feet. I pray that God would just take these words, inspire, inspire in your heart and allow you to work under the shadow of God that the brains and the gifts and the talents that God's bestowed upon all of us, that we would find ways. You would just say, Lord, I lay, I lay at your feet and I just desire. That's why we act the way we do. That's what we've been discussing. Why do we act the way we do? Why do we conduct ourselves? Why do we separate? Why do we live in holiness? Why do we do those things? It's not because we uh, all of a sudden, you know, one day read the rules in our church. No, the Spirit of God has already placed something in our heart. Right? Like Basileel. The Spirit of God has already placed something in our hearts to, to live out what, what God desires in our time. All we are, folks, all we are is just uh, craftsmen. All we are is just people carrying out what God's already placed in you. There's a role, there's a purpose. And the reason that Satan is not defeated uh, is because he's got a resistance still in this world here. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when God takes his bride off the face of this earth and all of it breaks loose here and there's no, there's no carpenters left, there's nothing left at all, and the powers of this world just sweep over it? It won't be a place for you to live. It won't be a place for any decent person to live. But the reason Satan has the frustration that he has is because you're still here. You're the evidence of God's victory in the earth. Do you believe that? Huh. And we should not be afraid. We should rather be looking to God and saying, Lord, make me like Basileel. And Lord, what I do, I want to do under the shadow of God. I want to live the way that you have ordained me to live. I think it's possible. If it's not possible, God would not have left us here. He would have took us home. But it's got to be possible. Got to be possible. Sing it this, this morning here. We choose the fear of the Lord. We choose the fear of the
I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Well, it opens prison door, sets the captives free. Well, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. One more time. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. I know it opens prison doors, captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, and give to me. Spring up, oh shall wear a crown. Yes, we shall wear a crown. Oh, we shall wear a crown. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown in that new Jerusalem. Wear a crown. His ability, 
Thank you. 
going up to yonder to be with my Lord. Oh, I'm going up to yonder. I'm going up to yonder. I'm going up to yonder to be with my Lord. Why shouldn't we praise Him? We know how it comes out. We know how, the, we know how it all ends. We know where everybody winds up at the end. Why shouldn't we praise Him? Why shouldn't we walk fearlessly in this world? Why shouldn't we hold our heads high as sons and daughters of God? Why shouldn't we look at everything through the promises of God? Brother Bram said it's all laying there in the promises. When you look at it through that, your giants get smaller when you look at it through the eyes of the promise. Everything gets less threatening when you look at it through the eyes of the promise. No matter what laws change, no matter what goes on in the world, no matter what armies do, no matter what China does, no matter what your bank account does, hey, we're looking at everything through the promise. We're looking at the unseen, not the seen. We're looking at things that are unseen, not seen. By faith, it's bringing us to the things that we do not see because we believe they are. Right? We believe we're coming to something that's even more real than this world and this life. We look at the unseen, not at the seen. We're a strange people. That's why we act the way we do. Because we're not looking at things around us. We're looking at things to come. We're looking at things we're becoming. We're looking at places we're going. We're looking at destinies that are not even in view yet. That's why we act the way we do. That's why we use the energy that we do for the things of God and for the kingdom. Because that's what matters. That's what's going to be around. Every kingdom is giving way so that the kingdom of God can be established. This is a displacement of the kingdoms of this world so that the kingdom of God can be permanently established. First in your heart. And then it will be established on this earth when God's finished with it and cleans it all off and makes it a fit place. Oh, I'll tell you what, we should praise him. We should thank him. And not just here. Don't, don't leave your anvil here. Don't leave your tools here, your carpenter tools here. Take them with you wherever you go because this is something we live. This is something that we walk every day of our life. Absolutely. We should not be ashamed to pull out our tools when the enemy comes against us. Hallelujah. God is good. What? How great is our God. How great is our God. How great is our God. The splendor of the King. He's clothed in majesty. And all the earth rejoices.
How great is our God. Next one there. Oh, age to age he stands. And time is in his end. Beginning and end. The bride and Christ are one. he lives and he said he'd never leave us we can we can walk through tomorrow by God's grace we can help each other walk through tomorrow by God's grace we look at everything through the promise Heavenly Father as we bow in your presence today Lord we are when we stop and think about the fact that you chose us to be here in the very last hour, the very last of the times of the Gentiles, Lord, we feel, in ourselves, we feel quite inadequate. In ourselves, we feel quite unable. But Lord, then again, it never was up to us. It's you. It's you in us. It's Christ in us. Christ in us is our hope. Christ in us is our strength. Lord, there's nothing about tomorrow that we have to fear. The world, Lord, is layered, covered in fear, covered in indecision. They're not sure about what to do. They're not sure where everything is going to wind up. There are question marks, change, stamped over everything. But, Lord, we serve a God who doesn't change. His word is true. And what you said about the end time is coming to pass, and it will come to pass. What you said about the bride will come to pass. What you said about Israel coming back into her place, Lord, that will come to pass. We have every confidence going forward that, Lord, you said you would be right there. And now, Lord, we're depending on you and we look to you. 
we rest upon your arms of understanding. Empower us, Lord, I pray. Breathe your spirit into us in a greater way that we might stand against the forces of this world. We give our lives to you afresh in the name of Jesus. We consecrate ourselves to you and say, Lord Jesus, we're proud to be one of those craftsmen, one of those blacksmiths, one of those carpenters, one of those people that you've chosen, Lord, to stand against the powers of this world. Thank you, Jesus. Heal the sick. Touch those who need your touch, Lord. Lift up the hands of the discouraged. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory. Amen. And amen. And amen. Because he I can face tomorrow because he lives. All my fear is gone because I. Second as you go, God bless you. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone because I